Welcome to the Oil & Gas Elevate podcast. Each week, Sean McCoy and Eric Johnson share real-world case studies of businesses in oil and gas that are successfully navigating the complex environmental, social, and governance landscape. These are the stories that are driving the energy evolution. Here's a demonstration of some mental stimulation. We a nation making change. Let me frame the illustration. It's time for us to elevate your mind to a higher place. Oh, in the power here to innovate. Innovate. Elevate your mind to a higher place. Oh, in the power here to innovate. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Elevate Podcast. This is your host, Sean McCoy, along with my partner, Eric. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. How are you doing? You know it. Living the dream as always. Awesome. So today we're doing like a little bit of a hybrid. We typically do our case study format or we do an accelerate. And today I thought we could do something a little bit different and kind of a hybrid of those two things. We were up in Frisco at the water conferences. We were coming back. As, as is apt to happen all the time, Mark will tell us, hey, there's a company, there's a group I want you to talk to. And it was a company called Saxum out of Oklahoma City. Right. And I got a chance to call Todd Gregory on the phone just to kind of learn about what their company's doing and the rest of these things. And as he was telling me more and more about what they're doing in the marketing and digital marketing space and how they're doing it, it reminded me of something we heard at the conference and what we hear all the time and is really the basis of our show, which is how do we tell a better story? How do we right. tell the stories of the oil and gas industry? Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's that's frustrating to both you and me and, and in all honesty with a lot of people within the industry is like, hey, we actually do some pretty amazing stuff. Why are we not doing a better job telling that story? Are we afraid to do it? Do we not know how to do it? I mean, what is the driver for that? And, and so you and I have been harping on that for a long time. And, and as you just said, that's the purpose of this podcast right, is to share those stories. Right. So we thought what we would do is grab Todd and sit down and let's talk about from a company that, that does it well and knows what they're doing and understands the nuances and the different aspects that, that why it should be my, why it might be a struggle for your company. Why it might be a struggle for, for the company you work with or just or even knowing what that story should sound like and things of that nature. And so we decided to ask Todd to come on. We're going to get a couple of words from our amazing sponsors at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, and then we'll be right back. Awesome. Hey, Sean, a quick note about our sponsor, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Through HPE's extensive activity and experience in the oil and gas industry, they have identified six key areas to enable your company to get ahead of the competition. Cloud-based consumption, advanced analytics, secure mobility solutions, physical and cybersecurity offerings, asset virtualization, and application modernization. So with that, do you want to find out more about one or all of those solutions? Go to www.hpe.com forward slash engage forward slash IOT or click on the link in the show notes for more information and to download their white paper about these subjects. All right, so we're back. We're here with Todd Gregory, Vice President at Saxum. Thank you so much, Todd, for taking the time to come talk to us. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me in. No problem. So as we were talking about, it's this, it's this, this mountain, it seems like, no pun intended to the company name, but this mountain of, you know, how do we tell a good story? And when you hear about this and you see these struggles, this is what you deal with on a daily basis, specifically, and even in the energy and oil and gas sector. So kind of what's kind of your first reaction when you hear a statement like that from people? I'll say that not just in oil and gas, but across all sectors, everyone's really trying to, to manage the perception with their, their customers, their, their stakeholders, their employees, their investors, in considering all of those audiences, being able to understand how they perceive your current state and your position, and then what you would like them to understand about you, right? So starting with, with that 
perspective, regardless of how you want to change the perception, you really need to, to work through that piece of it. And one of the things that we always talk about is, you know, telling that story, like just actually figuring out how to sit down and tell the story. Because I, I do think there are amazing stories to be told. There are things that are happening in the transition space. There are things that we're doing with greenhouse gas emissions, but we just don't talk about them. As you're out there engaging with people in ONG and other places, what do you see is the resistance there? Why is there resistance to just telling these stories? It's sometimes fascinating to me that's like, why don't you talk about that? <laughs> Yeah, you know, the industry really has a, a challenge in, in framing the story because each individual company has their own unique story. But as an industry, they can't really come together for a common thread of what, you know, what this really represents for the industry. Over the years, I've done a lot of work for associations, API, Inga, Koga, Texoga, and, you know, advised on that really culmination of how do we tell the energy story and the benefits to society. And I think what really happens is these companies are very conservative and they don't want to get over their skis and they're a little afraid to say things that might come back to them later. So it's hard to have a, a unified agreement on, on what that message should be. I have been to a, a ton of conferences and I'll just share with you since November, I've got this chart that you know these conferences that are having ESG or climate change or sustainability is just going through the roof as subject matters, right? right. So the discussion is there. The problem is we're all talking to each other that all agree. It's the wrong audience, right? We're sitting in the room talking about the problem, but we can't do anything about it because we have to be able to communicate that to other audiences. Well, so to dive down that a little bit, so it seems like internally, like we're all sitting around saying, hey, we are doing these wonderful things, but at the same time, there are things that we're not, you know, there are things as far as that nature. So is there anything that when you come across an individual company, obviously I wouldn't ask you to disclose anybody specifically, but when, if there's things that there's part of those stories that then when they get out, don't look great on the industry, don't look great on that company. Is there anything that you, that y'all see as a way to kind of not a mea culpa, but in a sense, kind of that, how do you acquiesce some of that history that we have in terms of an industry? Well, yeah, I mean, there's so many examples of, you know, crisis situations that were handled properly in crisis situations that I would have done differently. I think the thing is, is, is that the company will always try and protect their reputation first. You know, as far as, as when you have a situation and, and trying to understand the best way to address it is be fully transparent, disclose what you know at the time, be open and address that. I, I'll say that, in looking at a bigger story of how it relates to the way people perceive oil and gas or the way people perceive renewables, I think you, you have to find a common ground with the audience you're speaking to, right? So we, we can't say, I'm standing on one side of the bridge and I'm holding my ground, come over and talk to me. We really need to go to them. We need to cross that bridge with an open mind and open heart and say, tell me what your concerns are. Let's have an educated discussion about them. And then let's, let's address what's fact and what's fiction, right? So in, in the spirit of finding that good story to tell a little bit what you're talking about, what it makes me think of something we talk about a lot, which is the story we do tell each other is look at all these products that were made. Look at all the, you know, people we think of Alex Epstein and the whole you know, world mm -hmm. case, of fossil, which is all true. Yes. We, you know, when we're sitting here recording and a rainstorm goes by, we would be wet without energy and stuff like that. All that said, it seems a little bit almost like that doesn't really do anything. But nobody's, especially now, doesn't seem to really make that big of an impact. When you see companies that are kind of utilizing that type of, I guess, messaging, do you think that that's okay? Or is there a better way to do that? Or should we not do that at all? There are times when that doesn't suit the purpose of the discussion. You know, what would life be like without us, right? It's a bit arrogant, right? 
others might say, well, what would like be like with something different? So I think that I've seen all of those great stories and, and I see seen all the th great things that the industry does and, and would love to shatter them from the rooftops all over because, you know, I, I believe in them. But again, it's that common ground. So there's opposition for a reason. There's a, another way of doing it for this transition. And it is truly a transition, not a light switch. So if it's a community town hall meeting and the, these landowners are saying, there's a project coming on my land and this is either an oil and gas or a renewable project, I'm against it, right? You got to sit and talk about what, what the concerns are. And that would be, if you're doing that one-to-one, -one, if you're doing that in a group, if you're doing that in social media, if you're doing that through your annual report, where, whatever the channels are, you need to be open to a dialogue. Well, I want to follow up on something you just mentioned. And you talked about, hey, if you're going into this community to talk about an issue, you said, well, if you're ONG or if you're renewables, and I think it hits on a really important point that goes back to something we talked about earlier. We, we can't come up with a common a common industry message. But you're, but you're right. I mean, the renewals people will have stories they need to tell and issues that they need to address. ONG certainly has it, but we don't have the same stories to tell. I think that has been one of the biggest hurdles. Even, you know, you pick a particular vertical, even within the upstream, the super majors have very different stories they want to tell from the privates, right? Mm -hmm. And so they, API then struggles with, okay, well, how do we come up with that That's consolidated right. message? So with that in mind, want to just jump to kind of the transition to renewable side. What hurdles do you think from a message I think they have a lot of tailwind right now mm -hmm. and everybody thinks, but I think there are hurdles for them in the future. And as we talk about one big umbrella, we talk about energy as a whole. I think we're going to have to deal with some of those issues as well. So you think about land, land use issues for, for wind farms and solar. I think they've been given a little bit of a pass, but are you starting to see the renewables guys having to face some music with respect to some of these issues? Yeah. So I think everyone has a responsibility and a, and a corporate responsibility to be good stewards. So the way that I really look at it is, is a, a little top-down view of social impact. And that social impact is, you know, how are we affecting our lands, our waters, how are we affecting our air? And, and in, in considering all of those factors, there are measurements that we can look at to say, here's the impact we make and here's the, the transition we're making against them, right? I think what companies get caught up in a lot of times is they get caught up in that specific measurement and the reporting more than they think about where they want to go and who they want to work with to get them there, right? So I'll tell a story about probably three different groups that I work with and consult with that are different stages of maturity. So early on, I, I really do an assessment that, that determines where they're at in their journey. And, you know, in the infancy stage, maybe they, they're not a public company. They, you know, have some, some demands that are being pushed on them. And generally it's from their investors. Maybe some employees are, are rumbling and they're saying, we know we have to do something, but we have no idea what it is. Right. So, so they have a different journey in, in through this. We have another group of people that they're like, well, we've done enough because the investors have demanded it. So we have a, an impact report and we have an area on our website that talks about what we're doing. Right. We haven't made a big commitment yet, but we're doing something and it just doesn't seem to, to be enough. They want more. Right. And then the, the bigger side is these publicly traded companies that are, are saying, okay, well, we built our business around this model. We're doing some great things and we're telling a really good story, but what's next for us? If we're going to go in and invest and diversify into other things, does the name of our company really transcend a full service energy integrated solution, 
right? And they need to take a hard look at that. So based on where they fall within each of those buckets is really where I can consult them to, to move to the next level and help them with a plan. So that's a perfect setup for the, one of the things we talked about earlier before we started recording. And it's something that we all have seen. And we hear about, you know, when we're talking companies like NOV and, and Equinor used to be Statoil and National Oil Varco. And we're starting to see a pattern, even for lack of a better word, large companies, big companies in the industry that people know making that pivot. And so it's not a, not to say something around good or bad or criticism, but when a company decides to do something like that from a messaging and story standpoint, kind of what have you seen as far as like hurdles and then what are some, you know, some good ideas and some bad ideas around that? Well, it definitely takes alignment. So as I mentioned early on is, is who's driving the conversation. If, if your investors are pushing you into this decision and leadership is not on board with it, it's going to be a, a difficult journey, right? If it's top down and they're saying, yes, we're fully committed to this, we know that we need to make a change and what's that change look like, then making a decision of a name change or repositioning looking for opportunities to to diversify, you know, they'll have much more success. They'll usually engage with somebody like me to be able to guide them through that and show them what that journey would look like over time, right? But a lot of it starts with who's who's the one that's that's pushing the decision to be made. One of the things you mentioned earlier which kind of resonated with me was this idea of focusing too much kind of short-termism in the moment or this particular story that we want to tell and missing what we just talked about, right, which is maybe a big strategic pivot that needs to happen. Maybe we need to rebrand ourselves completely. Maybe certain of, we need to add business lines or change business lines. Just wanted to get your thoughts on how do we get people to, when we talk about leadership, how do we get them to pivot to that more important, quit worrying about just, you know, the investors keep calling and keep yelling at us, but how about, what's the long-term strategy we need to think about and what, how are we going to brand ourselves not next week, but five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Yeah, it's, it's listen. So listen to your employees, right? Listen to your stakeholders. Listen to the people in your communities. You know, your investors have a voice, but they're not the only voice, right? And in listening to what the needs are, what the demands are, and then taking the data that you're gathering about your operations and crafting unique stories around that, like what, what changes are you making in your operations that will have long-term impacts and then turning that into a, a campaign, turning that into a full message and then, and then target that message to employees, target that message to stakeholders, target that message to communities. And then, you know, I guess the term I like to use is a thousand small conversations and those thousand small conversations is requires you to listen, re- requires you to have that dialogue and then respond to that, what they care about. So this this may be an odd point, you know, 15 minutes into the podcast to ask you the basic question, but it kind of it's kind of in lieu of what you're saying. What makes a good story or how should you, when you strategize, because I'm sure it becomes, you have, to, you have to delineate, you have to approach it in different areas, but what makes a good story internal to a company? What makes a good story to your stakeholders? What's, when you do that, are they different? How are they different in some of those areas? <laughs> so every great movie has the hero's journey, right? <laughs> you guys probably heard this before, right? Star Trek, all the all the great ones. I think the thing is 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 that crafting the story of your current situation, right? Understanding the steps that you need to take to get buy-in, to 
understand your role in the story. Are you the hero? Are you the sage? Who are you within the story, right? They always encounter some people that will oppose them. There's an evil dragon or there's something that they're going to they're gonna have to overcome some big challenge. And there's a lot of opposition that, that we're overcoming with big challenges in the industry. And then ultimately, you know, we find our way. And at the end, when we find our way, there's usually a team of good doers that all come to the end to find our way. So in looking at that aspect of things and putting that lens on the business to say, where, where are we, who are we, and how do we craft that story? One of the things I wanted to, to follow up on, you mentioned you've got to listen to all your stakeholders. And in talking to a lot of my clients, one of the things that's become a, a, a super focus for them, and it is probably one of the biggest drivers for ESG transformation within the companies is really the customer base. It's like focusing on your customer, listening to your customer. When you think about all the super majors that have made their commitments, and then now they're turning around and looking at you, whether you're oilfield services, when you're manufacturing, whatever you're doing, and you're doing this RFP, you're doing a, doing a proposal to get the work, you need to be able to tell your ESG story. That's how you're going to differentiate yourself. And, and that drives top line revenue, right? I mean, you're literally, you may be losing opportunities because you didn't do a good story talking about how your tier four diesel works better than somebody else's, right? And like, that's something that really needs to happen. So we started off at the very beginning, you said audience matters. And I think one of the most important audiences right now is the customer. Yes, the investors matter and your employees matter, but the customer matters. Is there a special journey you take? Is there a special hero's journey that you need to think about and Certainly. communicate when that target audience is your customer, when you're walking in with the binders and you're there to do the RFP? What does that look like? Because I think right now, when I'm talking to my clients, one of the things they're most hyper-focused on is getting that next job. And sometimes the only way you can differentiate yourself is one of the ESG metrics. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, I guess I'll think of about like more of like a sales process. So if you're thinking about the sales process, not every buyer is equal. They all have nuances. They all have things they care about. And the, the higher the ticket, the more people that are involved in the decision making, right? So you've got a lot of other people that are influencing that decision. So there is, you know, a way to look at each of these individual buyers and build personas around them, right? So this individual persona cares about these things. If we're talking about account-based marketing, we can even go down and say, we're going to do research on this individual buyer and find out, you know, what kind of whiskey he likes to drink and what he tweeted last week and really identify what he cares about. And then you can build, you know, eight to 10 of those groupings of those buyers and train your team on how to appeal to those individuals as well as craft your marketing messages around those individuals. So it's very personalized, very customized. So that's in the selling process. I'll, I'll say as a company also, we work with companies that not only do they provide services that will help companies with their transition, but to your point in the RFP, they have to have to really say, well, and here's what we're doing as a company with our footprint. They're only thinking initially, well, it's just a service I provide. No, 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 no. You provide this service, but what are you doing about this? Yeah, I think your brand matters. They may not be buying that particular product or service, but your customer wants to be associated with a company that is a superstar, so to speak, within, within the ESG realm, right? They want to know that we are buying products or services from somebody who's taking that journey with us and kind of having, so even if, even if you're not talking about tier four diesel or dual fuel or whatever else, but you're talking about, you know, here's what we do on a social side. Here's what we do personally. Like, you know, all of our facilities are run on solar power. I, you know, I'm making things up right now, but telling that story and building that brand also 
as a sales impact for that most, I think probably right now, the most important audience right now, which really is kind of your customer and trying to get that transition funded, so to speak, with the revenue line. And I'll say that, you know, some of the things that we consult with, if, if you're going in for a sales presentation, a lot of times people say, let's get right into it, right? What is it you need? How can we help you? Here's a service. Here's the solution. But taking a minute to talk about what your company represents, what their values are, what you're doing to make that impact, and then tie together the unity between the company's needs and your, your goals to be able to craft that story. And people have a difficult time telling that story. So we help them with that piece of it. So expand upon that a little bit. You said earlier about, you know, you work for different associations and you also with individual companies. And it makes me think around the brand and the image. There seems that there's this paradox amongst all industries. So the oil and gas industry has a message that we people get. And that's dictated either by any number of companies that can do anything. This, this company decides to do, take this message out or this happens over here. Well, they may, they may get mad at that company, but the general feeling is it, it kind of brings the industry down. But then it becomes, so that it, is it the individual company's responsibility to then, who manages the industry message? And I, th- I guess what, and what I wonder from that is, how would you advise a company that like, like a Liberty or even a Shell or a Schlumberger, they want to tell a certain story? And that, and that how does that, how, is there a responsibility that they have inherently beyond just their company to the industry as a whole to then do something or say something that actually helps people outside or organizations outside of themselves? So, you know, the, the associations represent a group of companies that have all varied interests and to, to try and get them aligned is difficult, but trying to determine where they all have common ground and take something to them that, that they all can agree upon has been, has been a challenge. So there's, there's surveying, there's, you know, focus groups, there's, there's individual discussions around their members to say, this is the position that we want to take on this issue. And do you agree, do you agree with the strategy? Right. And, you know, they don't always all agree, but they agree with a portion of that. But that's the reason we're here is we can't get them all to agree. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to be bold, right? Somebody mm-hmm. has to be bold. And, you know, when the associations are tied to their members, you don't want to make your members mad. <laughs> I do think one of the struggles has been finding boldness. And I do think there are plenty of CEOs and others that have that are full of boldness. And I think their board of directors, though, sometimes look at them and go, yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna say that. <laughs> I think you know, liberty is an exception. Liberty has been fairly vocal of late, and certainly on some important topics. But in your work, do you see that conflict between a dynamic CEO who's ready to step out there and be a voice, and maybe a board of directors that is trying to rein them in, or maybe maybe even large customers that are like, well, we don't appreciate you saying or doing those kind of things. I'm assuming there's a lot of minds to avoid as they navigate that field. Just your thoughts on how you, how do you advise the C-suite and they're dealing with all these competing forces that may want to hold them back from telling a story. What's funny about that is a lot of times they're not being genuine or true to themselves. And if you're in, you know, the middle of the road, then you have no position. Right. And, and I've been in meetings where people will say to me, well, I don't want to be them. And you could probably think of who that list is. And I definitely don't want to be them. So I'm okay right here. And, and they said, I'm hitting it right down the fairway. I'm like, you're 100% wrong. What you are is you're nowhere. You're in no man's land. You're not in the middle of the fairway. Right. You haven't really been bold enough to take a stand. You're not really being true to yourself as to what position you're going to take. 
you're really writing it out until you have to have to make a choice. Right. And when they have to make a choice, it's probably going to be one they don't want to make. So in lieu of that, it makes me think of there are so many years ago, there may have been a couple of ways you could get mass messages out. You could you could almost control the way it went out. Mass media was was really kind of finite in terms of how you could connect with information. Now with things like podcasts, with things like Clubhouse, with just even social media that we consider kind of not old, but LinkedIn, I see so many times CEOs, presidents, vice presidents, just making simple comments on a comment string that I look at and go, wow, I can't believe that you're this, that, you know, director of HR, and you just said that on this comment string for the whole LinkedIn world to go see. And then, you, like I said, yeah, places like, we, we do this all the time here. We People that have to come on sometimes, they have to get permission to make sure it's okay. And then I look at something like Clubhouse, and I got to get my Clubhouse plug in, that you can show up and just, and it, every time that happens, though, that individual, not only representing themselves, but the company they work for and even the industry. So how do you look at those different mediums and do, how do you advise or do you in those areas? Well, we are living in a world that there's not much forgiveness, right? So you can't take words back. And when people say something on social media, when they do something that they shouldn't have done, it, it's really hard to go back from. So there's a whole business around reputation management. There's a whole, you know, there's a whole world around how do we craft our messages appropriately? How do we prepare statements for those people, for those moments to not happen, right? And we do a lot of media training and media advisory for that. You know, of course, if you're bold enough and you're willing to say what you're going to say regardless of the consequences, then you take the implications of what's going to happen, right? But I think that I love that there's training that's going on at that level. I don't think we're not at an age now where you can just have a single voice and all positions come from that voice. If you think about LinkedIn, you think about the level of engagement that goes in on LinkedIn and the brand building and the reputation building that goes on on LinkedIn. Well, you do need your manager of X, Y, and Z to be free and to communicate. And he or she may be very passionate about the industry, passionate about the things they're going to do to teach them and train them. This is how we're going to communicate. And you want all of those voices out there, I think. So it's great to hear that you guys are helping train that. Because I think if you just tell everybody to shut it down, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one, it's completely impractical. But two, I, I think you'd rather empower your people to be part of that brand build for you. They're your best voice, right? They're working in communities. They're in the operations. They're having coffee at the coffee shop. They really are our best advocates for the industry. And we're not doing a good job telling them how to tell our story. We need to arm them with that. They're proud of their company. They're proud of the industry. They love their job, but they're not able to clearly articulate the why. Right. And I do think there's some merit. One of the things I've noticed in Clubhouse, not noticed, but I've actually personally experienced, I've had people look at me and say, they've been in the travel industry or leather industry or some other industry for 30, 40 years, and they've never had a conversation, not even had a spoken word with somebody that's even in the industry at all. And so, because and what gets me excited is a little bit of what you're saying, Eric. It's not just that we, you know, they're going to engage, but there's a chance to connect. There's a chance to make that one little story, like you said, thousands. That one little story can make that difference, and how it can at least open the door to just go. Well, I talked to that one person, and they weren't a total jack wagon, and they didn't say all this crazy stuff, and they were firm, and they they also because then because at the same time I do agree, and I and I feel bad back to the here's all the things we do and the Alex Epstein kind of thing. There's a lot of things that people just have no concept around what all this has helped us provide. So that is true too, but there's also the things on the other side of it. And so I, so I, I do think it's amazing. I just, the training part is interesting. And I guess more, if, you, if you're just given a general, I'll have to say a general, a small question, but 
if there isn't formal training at a company for something like that, any kind of basic advice for somebody who's out there saying something besides just just don't don't do something stupid or don't say something stupid? Well, if you're a leader of your organization and you're considering your path for social sustainability for ESG, if you're considering your reputation, if you're considering empowering your people to represent the industry, seek professional advice and coach them up on what to say and have alignment and have their back, right? So there are people out there that do this for a living that can help you get this done. And it's a journey and it doesn't mean you have to switch. It's a journey, it's a transition, but there's help to be had. And I think it's important to point out, we're not talking about teaching them some greenwash script, right? Mm -hmm. We're just talking like, like, hey, there's hundreds of amazing CEOs in the business, but sometimes from a connectivity standpoint, the people we're trying to convince and make understand about the business are going to be down lower, right? And they're not going to connect to a CEO in that way, right? And so to, but to give somebody the skill set to go out and engage at a lower level with their peer group, I think is critically important. Absolutely. Yeah. And as we wrap up, because we're going to have time, it goes by fast, but sure does. I, w- I would actually suggest something that you said in the very beginning, which I thought was brilliant, Todd, and that is we've talked a lot about what we're going to say and how we're going to say it and the rest of this stuff, but I also would highly suggest for people to truly listen first before you just spout off a speech or spout off, because like you said, Eric, and, and that's the usual go-to is people realize it's a script or it's greenwashing or you're just towing the company line versus you hear them out first, and then if you're able to respond directly to what they're saying, using the things that you know it that that's where i see the big difference is people all of a sudden go or he recognized the you know the shortcoming the issue or the struggle that i had and then that that, i just feel like that just lowers the the walls yeah so as a 30-year veteran of marketing communications the tools that are now prevalent like podcasting or social media it really allows us to have that dialogue and to have that immediate feedback right so at one point tv and radio was just one directional we're going to talk to you take it or leave it right and now we're saying no we're in the conversation we want to be involved in the conversation and we have tools to do that so embracing with those tools and i'll say to company owners embrace those tools right because they're out there awesome well awesome. thanks for joining us yeah appreciate the time todd saxon look him up his uh, linkedin profile be connected in the show notes and if you need a little help with somebody to tell you how to tell your story not a bad resource to go ask for. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. With that, we'll see y'all next week. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for August 2021. This month, we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on August 26th. Our July happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the last one, we hope to see you there this month. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts, network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Other than OGGN's events, we have three in-person events and one hybrid in-person and online event. First up, we have our three in-person events, the first being OTC, or the Offshore Technology Conference, at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas, from August 16th to the 19th. Next, we have the IPAA Leaders in Industry Luncheon at the Petroleum Club of Houston on August 17th. And lastly, we have the 2021 Connected Plant Conference at the Renaissance Hotel in Austin, Texas, from August 30th to September 2nd. Other than our three in-person events, we have our hybrid event, which is NAEP, or the North American Prospect Expo. 
Now this summit is a hybrid event because it's both online and in-person. The in-person portion of the event will be from August 18th to the 20th at the George R. Brown Convention Center, while the online portion of the event is from August 9th to September 3rd. If you have any questions about these events or any podcasts within the Oil & Gas Global Network, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for August. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. On behalf of the Elevate podcast team, thank you so much for clicking play and bringing to life these amazing stories. We hope this elevated your perspective and serves you well as you navigate understanding ESG and the energy evolution. We are so grateful for your time and kindly ask that you rate and review the show on Apple iTunes, which is a great way to help us grow. The best way to support the work we are doing is to tell a friend about it, ask them to listen, and share with others what you've learned from listening to our guests. Lastly, we want to invite you to reach out to us for any comments, suggestions, or just to connect. You can do that through my email, sean.mccoy at oggn.com. I'd love to hear from you and what you think of our podcast. Be safe, and we look forward to bringing you another episode next week. Here's a demonstration of some mental stimulation. We a nation making change. Let me frame the illustration. It's time for us to elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power, hit it in the vein. Elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power, hit it in the vein.